0: Taylor's preaching and kids, so give it up for Miss Taylor. <laughs> Hi, church. Hi. How are you? Good. good. You look good from this angle. <laughs> it's good to, thank you. It's good to be with you here today. It is um, just amazing to step into this room. We came into this room this morning, and it was empty. And I just was overwhelmed with this sense of, of God moving and of us just being right behind him so closely, following in, in what he's called us to do, and just overwhelmed by his goodness, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, just overwhelmed by the goodness of God, despite what may be going on in our personal lives, the struggles that we may be facing, God is still so good and I just I want you to hear that before we get into this message today um, Just to let that sink into your heart that he is faithful and he is good. So last week I got to preach in kids' church, and that was a ton of fun. They're awesome to preach for because they have so much excitement. They're way more excited than y'all are. (laughs) So I'm going to need some feedback because last week I got a lot of feedback, Um, and we'll see if you can keep up with them. But one of the things that we talked about is that knowledge is good. Knowledge can help you pass tests. Knowledge um, it helps you know things and learn things, but wisdom is better. Wisdom is what helps you as you're making life's biggest decisions, and even life's little decisions. And the purpose of this series that we're in right now called Verses is all about filling ourselves up with wisdom from God's Word. And the purpose of the book of Proverbs, which all of our um, sermons and messages are going to be based from, is to help us apply divine wisdom or God's wisdom to our daily life. Proverbs, I was just talking to my friends Mike and Sherry about this. Proverbs is a gold mine when it comes to our daily lives. It's not just a book um, that's from, you know, a long time ago, hundreds of years ago, that doesn't translate to our lives today. It's literally a guidebook for all parts of our lives. It gives us advice on marriage. It gives us advice on parenting. It talks about how to grow up to become an adult. It has advice on social justice, on good work ethic, on money, on morality. The list goes on and on and on. Proverbs covers it all. Proverbs is like a map with which to make a decision on which path to take. So last week, my mom, she's down here, my beautiful mother, and I were driving home from Washington, D.C. We had gone out to visit my brother. So we're driving home, and we had the choice to take one of two routes. I think you'll be able to see these up here on the screen in a moment, if the screen is working. And if it's not, no big deal. Last, um, we could either take the northern route that took us on a turnpike through Pennsylvania, or we could take a southern route that dropped us down into West Virginia for a little bit. As far as miles and time in the cargo, they were pretty equal, about the same, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. But when it comes to scenery and places to stop off for breaks, it's pretty different. On the turnpike, it was just miles and miles and miles of the same concrete highway, right, Mom? Looked the same. And there were these service plazas. I, uh, we had a debate about what those were called, and I wanted to call them um, oasises but they were called service plazas, every 50 miles or so. And these service plazas looked exactly the same. And they had pretty much the same places to eat at them also. But if you took the southern route, it was way more unique and scenic. You changed highways a couple of times. And you'd pass through these quaint little towns, these you know these towns in the mountains with interesting things to look at. And on a good day, you'd go by a barbecue joint that was um, smoking their own barbecue. And you'd stop off for ribs and iced tea, which we did not do, and I'm still regretting Reading that today, next time. OK, so I've taken both of these routes, the northern route and the southern route, very, uh, several times in my life. My brother's lived out there for 15 years. I've driven out there many times. Various reasons for taking the northern route or the southern route. But in the last few years, this technology has come into our travels called Google Maps. OK, now which route to take is no longer a guessing game. It's not just throwing a pin on the map and saying, which one should we take today? Because you can actually see in real time which route is better to take. Raise your hand if you've used Google Maps. Almost everyone. If you haven't, mind blown. Go download download Google Apps. It's amazing. Okay, you can see if there are traffic accidents on the road up ahead of you. You can see where the construction, you can even see how much construction there is. And when traffic is heavy or backed up, you can also see that. There's this glaring red line that sometimes grows longer and longer as you're looking at it, that shows you if traffic isn't flowing as it should be. So we use this, this, this Google Maps app many times on our route, and it helped us. And Google Maps would even assist us and say, better route available like, oh, thank you, Google Maps. I think we'll try that one. And we would take it. But this is why Proverbs is so cool and so very valuable. It's our very own Google Map. It shows us that we have two paths that we can take. It even gives us warnings about the consequences if we take a certain path. Or it gives us an alternative route that keeps us from harm. There are many, many verses. It's full. Proverbs is full of verses of what I like to call two-path verses. You can go this way or you can go that way. For instance, Proverbs 10:4. A lazy person, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Or Proverbs 10:12. Hatred stirs up, stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. See, two paths. If you go down this path, this is what'll happen you go down this path, this is what will happen. So Proverbs is our map app. It shows us what's waiting for us ahead of us on the path that we choose to take. Now way back in May, our teaching team, if you're new here at Church 214, we don't just have one pastor. um, We have a team of people that lead the church, and, and our teaching team is an awesome team. I love them so much. And we met, and God gave us the idea for this series, so wisdom versus foolishness, honesty versus dishonesty, one path versus another, and I want you to know something about our team. When we have these series that we bring to you to teach to you, we have already spent months, if not just at least many weeks, praying about what we're supposed to say to you. These aren't just random series that we pull out of a hat. These are divinely appointed, God-ordained series and topics that he has led us to to bring to you. And we have been praying over them. And God is so accurate in his planning. Let me explain what I mean. There are eight of us on our teaching team. Okay, that's a lot of schedules to work out. That's that's a lot of vacations to work around and different personality types. And who wants to preach on which topic, but yet God somehow without us even having to fuss over it very much has put the right people on the correct weeks to speak on the topics that he wants them to speak about and we have hardly done anything. I am amazed by God's plan for this. I tell you that because it's pertinent to why I am up here today and it's it's important that you know why I'm speaking on this particular topic. It wasn't my plan, it was God's plan. As we were placing different people into topics, someone said to me, kind of out of the blue, Heather, you should do honesty versus dishonesty. I was like, okay, sure, I can do that. I think, you know, I think it's a big issue in our culture. I don't think a lot of people are very honest. Sure, yep, I can do that one. Then for three months, I knew that this was coming up. I knew I would be preaching on this topic. Seemed pretty straightforward to me, okay? Don't lie, lying is bad. God detests lying lips, et cetera, et cetera, right? Pretty straightforward. Well, if you'll ask my friends down there on the front row, as of last Sunday, I had absolutely nothing to say to you today. Nothing. Usually when you preach, you've had a few weeks or a few months of thinking about it, of God putting things in your mind. I had zero. I knew that my topic was honesty, versus dishonesty, but I had no idea what I was supposed to say to you. Someone said, well, you could talk about living authentic lives. OK, yeah. Someone else said, well, talk about how powerful our words are. You know, those are both great topics, and they're, they're both loosely tied into honesty, but I still had nothing. And I'm not going to lie, I was starting to panic a little bit because I knew that Sunday was coming. And I knew I had to get up here, and I had to have a word from God to share with all of you because that's what you expect. You expect to come to church and hear a word from God delivered by a vessel, a person standing on this stage who has spent time in prayer and preparation and hearing from God. And as of last Sunday, I had nothing. Then came Monday. My husband had the kids all day. He was home for the day. So I parked myself at a table in the corner of Starbucks and I put my headphones on and I began to study. I opened up the book of Proverbs and I was reading through Proverbs and I was listening to a couple of sermons on this topic just to see if anything triggered, you know, God, what, are you, what do you want me to tell our church? What, is, what do they need to hear about this topic? What's pertinent in our lives and important in our lives? And then I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And it was so loud and it was so clear inside my mind that I actually turned around thinking that someone had come up and started talking to me. And in that moment, in the corner of Starbucks, God brought something into my mind, something from 15 years ago that was in my past that I had not dealt with. And this is what he said to me. Until you deal with this issue in your past, I will not give you the message you're supposed to preach this Sunday. I mean, you guys... This came out of left field. This was something from 15 years ago that I had suppressed. It was something that I thought I had already dealt with. It was something I thought was dead and gone and in the past. But in those moments, I had realized that for many years, I had been allowing Satan to deceive me into thinking that it was all okay and that it was all taken care of, but it was not. This was a sin issue, and I had to deal with it. See, this issue in my life involved another person. And while I had confessed it to God, and I had asked God, I had told God that I was sorry, and I had asked God to forgive me, I had not gone back to that person. Because dealing with it meant being honest and going back to this person and asking this person to forgive me. And I had not done that. Listen to me. God is not messing around in this church. He is not going to let us just skate by Pretending like things are okay, pretending like we haven't dealt with stuff. No, he's going to strip us. He's going to break us and remold us so that he can use us. He will use broken people, and that's what he's doing right now. He's cleansing us of all of our junk so that he can use us in ways that we can't even imagine. So God was not going to give me this message for you today until I dealt with my own sin. As I was sitting in this Starbucks and this realization was hitting me, he dropped this part of this passage into my mind. And I I looked up, where is that in the Bible? And he brought me to this, Psalm 24. Listen to this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? This may be a concert venue, but on Sunday mornings, this is God's holy place. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. And then he says two things. Who don't worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. How could I stand up here today behind this podium and teach on honesty and read this passage and think that I could possibly stand in the presence of God when there was deception in my past that I had not dealt dealt with? That in itself would have been deception. This isn't me saying that I have it all figured out. This is me saying the very opposite of that. That God was saying, you, Heather, repent before me and get this part of your life in order or you will not have my words to speak to my church. And I realized in that moment I had two choices. There were two paths that I could take. The first one is I could ask my husband to preach for me. He loves to preach. And I could ignore the voice of God, and I could carry on being deceived by the devil that everything was okay in my heart, or I could confess, repent, and deal with the thing in my heart that was causing a roadblock to what God had called me to do. Let me tell you something. I could not get out of that Starbucks fast enough. I was gathering all my stuff up. I drove home. Thankfully, my husband and my kids were just leaving, so the house was quiet. Thank the Lord for that, because what was about to happen was not pretty. I locked myself in my bedroom. I'm not making this up, people. This just happened this past Monday. I fell on my face, sobbing before the Lord, and I began to deal with my sin wrecked me. Listen, repentance brings joy, so much joy, but first it brings a sorrow and a pain that feels crushing. Jesus took our sin on the cross, and there is hope and redemption and forgiveness, but that does not mean that you won't feel the pain of your disobedience and your choices. And until you repent of them and ask God to make you whole again, it will hurt like hell. Yes, we repented when we first came to Jesus. That was that moment, one moment. And he took our sins and he took our debt on his own shoulders. But I know that my salvation doesn't mean that I ever, won't ever, and don't ever sin again. So repentance is something that has to happen over and over and over again. Repentance should be a daily thing. We sin daily, so we must repent daily. Romans 2. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? I love that God is tolerant with us. It's hard to be tolerant with your kids. I find it hard to be tolerant with my kids sometimes. And yet right here it tells us that that is one of the attributes of God, that he is tolerant with us. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. I don't know if I'd ever read that before, just like that. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Because you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. God's not doing that. You are doing that. You may be getting away with some sin right now without much consequence, but that won't last forever. This verse tells us that because you won't repent, you're storing up punishment for yourself. But listen, if you repent, that punishment is gone It is covered by the blood of Jesus. We don't talk about repentance very much in churches these days because it isn't an easy subject. It doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy and rainbows and butterflies. Instead, it makes us face our failures. It makes us face our sin. Living a life following Jesus is about hope. It is about love and joy and peace, all of those things. But it is also about obedience and repentance. And those are daily things. But I want you to hear about God's unmatchless grace for us, this thing called grace. Because that part might have made you feel hopeless. And I don't want you to feel hopeless. 2 Peter 3.8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord, he is being patient. Notice it doesn't just say he is patient. It says he is being patient. He is continuing patience in your life for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. Hebrews 3.15. Today, this is for you, church. This is God speaking a word to you today. When you hear his voice, when you feel that knowing in your chest or in your heart and your mind, when you hear him speak to you, do not harden your hearts. Because although God's patience is so great. It's so much more than we can imagine. His patience won't last forever. And we see this in Romans 1. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their own wickedness, who push down truth because of their own sin. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So this is the part I want you to hear. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. God abandoned them after a certain point. Now remember, a day is like a thousand years The Lord is being patient with you. He desires that no one should be destroyed, that no one should perish. That is the heart of God. But there will come a day when you, by your own wickedness and suppressing the truth, that God's patience will run out. He has made a way for that not to happen, but it is up to you. There will come a time where if you don't repent, although you have heard the truth, that your heart will be hardened And that God will abandon you to your own ways. This is why repentance is something that we absolutely must talk about. This is why we must confront the sin in our lives. And there is complete forgiveness when we repent. He takes our shame. He takes our guilt. And he doesn't hold us accountable for those things that we repent of. But we have to confess and we have to repent. And so Monday, as I lay on my floor doing this very thing, I felt like my insides were being crushed. I could relate to King David because he had some of those similar feelings. In Psalm 32, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose records, The Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Do you see a pattern here? When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all of my sin to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. And listen to this. Therefore, let all the godly people pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, this is so cool, you guys. I'm geeking out up here. I will guide you along the best path for your life. Confession and repentance. And the Lord takes you down the right path. So here's what I know. This word is for you today. It is a word from the Lord that he would not give me until I dealt with my own sin. And I believe today that God is going to use this word to set some people free. Because it is time for freedom. It is time for you to stop being deceived by the enemy. It is time for you to stop believing that the lies you are telling yourself, the lies you are telling others, and the lies that Satan is telling you are okay. It's time to face what's buried down deep inside of you, maybe suppressed, forgotten about. Maybe you don't realize that you haven't dealt with something. Or maybe you do, and you know what that is. And I don't think that my words can change you, I don't even think giving you a list of verses can change you. I know that only the power of the Holy Spirit moving in this place and moving in your life can do that. So right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray because i got some more stuff to say. But right now we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come into this place and to start changing your hearts so that your hearts aren't hardened by your own sin. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for being in this place today. God, and I am so humbled that you care enough about me to bring me to the point of having to fall on my face and confess my own sin so that I could stand up here today and deliver your words. And right now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be in this place and do what only you can do, which is begin to work on people's hearts and souls as they hear my words and as you begin to convict and break so that you can remold them and use them, God. Jesus, we are just asking you to be here with us, to do a work in people's lives so that freedom, that freedom today will be what we walk out with. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. So our topic, that was just the beginning. Our topic is about honesty versus dishonesty. But I believe that it had to start with repentance. Because being honest with yourself and honest with the Lord about what sin in your own life is keeping hold of you is where we had to start. So, the book of Proverbs has 68 verses on honesty versus honesty or dishonesty. I know because I counted them all. Honesty isn't just about truth telling, it's about truth living. This is really a straightforward issue. There are only two paths on this one. It's either honest or it's dishonest. You're either being truthful or you're being untruthful. There is no gray. Even a little lie is still a lie. Even a little deception is still deception. Studies show us that the majority of people lie 13 times per week. I actually thought that was kind of low. I don't I get, maybe that shows how I feel about humanity, but most people don't even know or realize that they're lying. It has become so normal. It's habitual. It's become the norm. 64% of people they they would lie when it suits them as long as it doesn't cause any real damage yet they don't take into account the moral and the spiritual damage that lying does to their soul. We live in a world where we value tolerance over truth, and yet we as Christ followers follow the one called truth. So shouldn't we be known for our honesty? John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says, calls Satan the deceiver. He's also called the father of lies. So when we're lying, when we're being deceptive, when we're being dishonest, we are actually following right behind the footsteps, in the footsteps of Satan. We're mimicking Satan when we're dishonest. So what does this look like in our own lives? What... How are we dishonest? Is it lying to make yourself look better? Maybe on a resume? Writing in extra little numbers? Is it fudging the numbers a little bit on your taxes or not reporting certain income? Or maybe it's finding a loophole that helps you out. It's not quite ethical, but it's not going to get in trouble if you get caught, so you go ahead and do it. Maybe it's keeping something from your spouse. You may not be saying the words coming out of your mouth as a lie, but deception is the same thing. Not saying something can just as easily be a lie. Here's a good one. How about over-dramatizing situations? Making things appear worse than they are? That's dishonesty. How about playing the victim? Wanting people to always feel sorry for you? That's deception. Are you honest at work? Even if you're the only one. There aren't a lot of honest people today. Maybe you're the only one at your job. But deception and lying can take on many different forms. And and it can look different for everybody. We'd be here all day if we talked about all the ways um, that you can be dishonest. We would literally be here all day and everyone would have a different story. Okay? But you know what those areas are in your life. You don't need me up here pointing them out to you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But you have to be in a place to listen to what he's saying to you. Dishonesty will wreck marriages. It'll cause you to lose your job. It destroys friendships, but most of all, it breaks the heart of your Heavenly Father. The point is we need to make honesty a rhythm in our life. We need to make it as natural as breathing in and breathing out. That when we're tempted to be dishonest in any sort of way, in a deceptive way, lying with our words, cheating on our taxes, stretching the truth, whatever that looks like, It feels foreign, and we reject it. We need to set the honesty standard high in our lives. We have to expect it from ourselves, that being dishonest in any way is not tolerated. See, society and we as followers of Jesus, we live by different standards. We go down different paths, or we should go down different paths. Society says that what you need to say to get your, yourself further down the road to success is normal. Whatever you need to say, say it, get yourself success. Followers of Jesus say that truth is the norm. Society says there's no right or wrong, that everything is subjective. Followers of Jesus say there is right and wrong and there are absolutes. So in case you need more convincing of how important this is, Proverbs 6 says this, There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven. I love how he just changed his mind. Like, oh, actually there's one more. Seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, A false witness who pours out lies and a person who sows discord in a family. Two of the seven things that we're told the Lord hates have to do with lying. Over and over and over and over again, the verses in Proverbs talks about how the Lord detests dishonesty. But he also says he delights in those who tell the truth. He takes delight in your honesty, in you when you're honest. In the Old Testament, there are quite a few accounts of times that God would strike down people for their disobedience, just strike them down dead. In the New Testament, however, there's only one account of that happening, So it's in the book of Acts. Jesus had just gone up into heaven and brave Peter was leading this new church. And there were people being added to the church every single day. And because the church was growing, the needs of the church were growing too. And so people started realizing this and they said, we're going to begin selling our possessions and we're going to give our money to the church to help care for all of these needs. And that began happening. Well, there was a rich man and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira, and they did this. And I want to read to you the account from Acts chapter 5 of when this happened. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So the one time in the New Testament that we hear about God doing something like this, and it's because they lied. It wasn't because they didn't give all the money, it was because they lied about it. Can you imagine if that happened in one of our churches today? We would have some people dealing with their honesty habits, wouldn't we? Did you, did you hear what happened in Church 214? Dude and his wife lied and God struck him dead. I mean, it makes you think, right? God takes this stuff seriously. He says he detests lips that lie. But this message isn't meant to leave you feeling guilty or shamed. It's to bring you freedom. It's to cause you to face the deception, whatever it is, that may have taken over your life, to deal with it, to repent, and to begin living a life pursuing truth. This thing called honesty, it's an easy one to justify away. I did it for 15 years. Justified it away that I'd already dealt with it. And Satan makes it easy for us to do that. Remember, he is the father of lies. He deceives us, and we in turn deceive ourselves. So if deception has become a pattern in your life, today is the day to break that pattern. It starts with repentance, and it becomes a pursuit of truthfulness. Not mimicking and following in the footsteps of the one that is called the father of lies, but mimicking and following the footsteps of the one we serve who is called the truth. God delights in those who tell the truth. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips but he delights in those who tell the truth can i tell you that i felt god's delight this week after i got through the sorrow of repenting i felt his delight and proverbs 11:5 says the godly are directed by honesty the wicked fall beneath their load of sin we're going to sing this song As we ask God to speak into our hearts about how we're supposed to respond to this message, one of the things that the kids and I talked about last week is that if you hear something from God's word and you don't obey it, you're like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And when the rains come and when the storms come, your house will fall. But those who hear God's word and respond, the key is responding. You're like the man who built his house on a rock. And then when the storms came and the wind blew and it shook that house, it stayed standing because you were built on truth and you responded to it. So maybe your repentance is something that you've got to do flat on your face in your bedroom like I had to do last Monday. Or maybe it's going and having a discussion with someone. Or maybe it's just simply today, taking a bold step and coming up to the altar and surrendering yourself and saying, God, this is, this is what's going on. This is what I've been deceptive about. And today I want to confess and repent. And I want to, I want to take a bold step and do that. And the altar is going to be open as we sing this song. If you would like prayer. We have an awesome prayer team. You don't even have to tell them what you need prayer for. They'll just pray for you. You can if you want to. But they'll pray for you they'll pray that you'll have the strength to take the next step that you need to take. Please don't let your pride keep you from responding to this message today, because you could go on for many more years and not hear a message like this and forget what God's calling you to do. Now, there's another group of people that I want to talk to, and it's those people that maybe have never taken that step of salvation. You've never even considered repenting of your sins and asking Jesus to cleanse you and say, I want to follow Jesus. And if that's you today, we want to give you that opportunity. See, because who I was talking to, those are people who already know Jesus. But they had a point in their life where they confessed their sin, a moment where they knelt before Jesus, and they said, Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I know I'm messed up. And if you were to look at my past, I don't think you would even want me. But you know what? God does not care what is in your past. He does not care if you feel that you are not worthy you are worthy in his eyes. It doesn't matter what sin is in your past, what shame, what guilt Satan has tried to make you believe that you are not worthy of Jesus, but you are worthy. Because Jesus will cleanse you. He will take your sin. He will wipe it away. It will be remembered no more, and you will have eternal life that begins today. And so if that's you, and you've never had that moment, you've never taken that moment to say, okay, God, I get it. I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. Living life for Jesus is not the easiest path, but it is most definitely the best path because you have hope, and he takes your shame, and he takes your guilt, and he covers it with his blood. And so if that is you today, I want you to do something really bold. I want you to come down here to the front I don't want you to sit in the dark and not let anyone see. I want you to stand up on your feet when we sing this song and come down here to the front, and I want you to tell someone, today I choose Jesus. And we will pray for you, and we will, we will help you know where to go from here. We will get you a Bible. We will help you. We will live life with you and do community with you because that's what we're called to do is to help you take that next step to show you that living for Jesus is the best path to take. God, I thank you that you're in this place. And I pray right now, Jesus, that as we stand up in a a minute and we sing this song, God, that you would stir people's hearts to respond. That if they need to come forward, And ask for prayer for repentance or whatever that looks like. God, I pray that that you would stir their hearts, that they would know that this is their time, that freedom starts today. And if there's someone sitting there who doesn't know you, they cannot say for sure that they have a relationship with you, that today would be their birth date, that today would be the day when they choose Jesus. God, move in this place because that's all we have. All we have is you. Without you, we are broken, messed up, full of shame, full of guilt, full of deception. And we don't want to be that way. We want freedom in Jesus. Church, I want you to stand on your feet. And as they sing this song, listen to these words. And I want you to know that I did not know they were singing this song until the middle of this week. And I went on Planning Center and I looked. And I I read these and I just I text Phil and I said, What in the world? All these pieces, broken and scattered, in mercy gathered, mended and whole, empty handed but not forsaken, I've been set free. I've been set free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, I can see it now. I can see the love in your eyes, laying yourself down and raising up the broken to life. And then this last part, you take our failure, you take our weakness, you set your treasure in this jar of clay, broken and beaten, but ready to be remolded. So take this heart, Lord. I'll be your vessel, the world to see your love in me. Church, let's sing this. The altar is open.